to conclude today um, the sermon series, Journey Through Christmas. Uh, this will be the last message in that series, and uh, we could have chosen under the circumstances to take today off, but uh, the Lord had already laid this message on my heart, and uh, I don't want to start the new year off still in this series. I believe the, the Lord has a direction for us to go in the new year, but I believe that that he wanted me to preach this message and he wanted you to hear this message. So we're going to conclude this series today, uh, Journey Through Christmas. Today we're in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, our main text will be verses 13 through 15. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. The word said, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Today I want to preach to you for a few moments this fourth message, which I have simply titled, Going to Egypt. If you will, one more time, pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your presence and your anointing. Thank you for every precious person, Lord, that is logged on to a cell phone or, or signed on to a computer or sitting in front of a TV screen and, and watching the YouTube channel today. Thank you for every precious person, Lord, that you have placed in the Freedom Point Church family and and all of our friends as well that watch us weekly. God, I pray for them today that as I bring this word, Lord, you would move me out of the way, decrease me till I'm nothing, but let your spirit be increased within me, God, that your word would go forth today in the power and the demonstration of your spirit, that every ear would hear and every heart would receive, Lord, what you're speaking into us today. We'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, Nicholas. God sent His own Son on a journey. We've been talking about journey through Christmas. And that's, that's part of the journey that we're talking about is the journey that He sent His only begotten Son on. But isn't it true that every single one of us are also on a journey? The journey's not always pleasant for us many times, nor was it always pleasant for Jesus. Jesus started out in trouble. He grew up in the midst of trouble. His life ended in trouble, but I'm thankful that because of all of that, he's able to help those, those of us even at times that are in trouble. God the Father did not make it super easy for Jesus, and that was his own son. He did not destroy Jesus' enemies and move them out of his way, but he allowed them to make the life of Jesus even more difficult at times. Sometimes that's hard to understand. But can I tell you this morning that if God wants anything from his children, he wants us to trust him. He can't explain everything that he does to us. We wouldn't understand it if he did. But he also expects us to just believe that he has a plan and he has a purpose and that when he is finished with a situation or a circumstance in our life, it will be better than the dream we had 
the goal that we wanted to achieve, the thought we had, or maybe even at times the prayer that we had for that particular circumstance or situation. We, we read in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21 when Jesus is blessed in the temple, the word said, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. That verse right there, verse 21 tells us Jesus was circumcised according to the law to show both Jew and Gentile alike that Jesus did not come into the world to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. It shows us that he didn't just come into the world for the Jew, he came into the world for the Gentile alike. Because Jesus himself was a law-keeping Jew. Jesus' parents were law-abiding Jews. And they did everything according to the custom of the law. Now we know that from Hebrew history, that when a woman had a baby girl, or maybe you didn't know this, but when a woman had a baby girl in Hebrew history, she was in purification for 80 days. But when she had a male child, she was in purification uh, for 40 days. The first male child that opened the womb was to be brought to the temple and presented to the Lord. So in the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, Mary and Joseph, in this passage of Scripture, brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. And I didn't put this one on the screen, but in verse 24, they said, And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. They brought that to do their sacrifice and to offer Jesus and present Him to the Lord. While they were there making this offering, if you read the story, there was a man named Simeon, an elderly man by the name of Simeon who came in their direction. The Bible tells us that Simeon was a just and a devout man. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel. And the Bible tells us in verse 25 that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And that should be what every one of us who knows Jesus should be doing today. We should be spending our lives waiting for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Living as though He could come just any day. He could come today. We should be living our lives believing that He could come at any time today. But we read in the story that the Holy Ghost had assured Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's what the Holy Ghost had promised him. So the Bible says that Simeon took Jesus, the baby Jesus, up in his arms and he said, and we're going to read verses 29 through 38. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. He knew when he saw the child that the Lord was going to uh, uh, fulfill his days and allow him to go on to be with the Lord because the Holy Ghost had promised him, you won't die until you've seen the Lord's Christ. So Simeon says, Lord, you're now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts 
may be revealed. And then another amazing occurrence happened. For those of you that need more confirmation on women preachers, women prophets, and women in the ministry, verse 36 says, Now there was a certain one, Anna. She was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, and she lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, an 84-year-old prophetess who did not depart from the temple. That's where she dwelt all the time, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So after the prophetic announcement that we see here from both Simeon and Anna, the angel of the Lord told Joseph in the scripture, our main text that we read this morning, to take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt because Herod desired to destroy the child. So you may read that passage and you may think, why would God not just take care of Herod and move him out of the way. Why make this man, Joseph, this mother, Mary, and this young child, Jesus, who's the very Son of God, take a journey down into Egypt that they sang about just a few minutes ago? It was a place that they didn't know about and where it was a place where they had no friends or no family. Why would God do this? Why would God almost ostracize his own child and and his family uh, and send them to Egypt? See, the answer is because God had an intended journey for his son. God had an intended journey for his son. And I want to tell you today that in your journey, you will notice that God does not always kill your Herod. Sometimes you may even ask for God to kill him. I hope you don't ask God to kill a person. But you may ask God whatever that Herod represents in your life. You may ask God to kill a Herod. Some of you may have asked the Lord and undoubtedly you've asked the Lord to remove the Herod from your life. Some of you have said Herod is after me and and I rebuke this Herod in the name of Jesus. And and you've prayed as hard as you can and, and you're just saying I want God to remove this. But God says to you. I don't work that way. Just because you don't like where you are does not mean I'm going to change where you are. I'll take care of Herod in my own way and in my own time. I'll take care of Herod. But I want you to go down to Egypt because while you're down there, I'll remove the trouble up here if you'll trust me. While you're going through your Egypt, I'll remove the trouble here if you'll trust me. Sometimes God will send you to Egypt to save your life. Sometimes God sends preachers to Egypt to save their ministry. I've seen it happen. I've seen God send families to Egypt to save the family. And I've seen God send struggling Christians to Egypt to save their souls. I'm not talking about the country or the land of Egypt. I'm talking about that place you didn't want to go. That place you didn't want to find yourself as we talked about last week. That situation or that circumstance that you didn't have it in your plan for you to have to go through. Sometimes God will send you to Egypt in order to save you. In order to preserve you. And in order to raise you up. God 
out of His goodness and mercy and care sometimes will cause you to have to uproot everything and be isolated from everything that's familiar and everything that's comfortable and cause you to end up in a place where you feel totally left out, totally abandoned, and to think He did it all just to save your soul and your family. I've seen God in His goodness move people, completely uproot them. Why? Because the enemy was lying in wait with an attack that could have potentially destroyed them and their families. But I've also sometimes seen those people not be able to see the hand of God in their Egypt. I've seen them be frustrated because they had to leave that familiar situation. They had to leave that comfortable territory or that comfort zone as we call it. And they become angry and they become bitter. And sometimes they say, why does it have to be this way? Why me? Why do I have to go through that? Why do I have to go to that place? I want to tell you why. It's because God knows that your great enemy is out to steal kill and destroy but God said I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly and because of that in my infinite wisdom in my infinite mercy and in my infinite grace yes I've caused you to find yourself in a place you never thought you'd be I've caused you to find yourself in a situation that you're begging me to get you out of but it's in my wisdom in my mercy and in my grace that I've allowed you to go down into Egypt so that I could take care of what was going on here while I've got you down there so if you'll just stop fretting and begin to trust me you'll see that I am God my ways are not your ways my thoughts are not your thoughts I have a plan for you and it's a plan of hope it's a plan of provision it's a plan of a good future but you've got to trust me while you're in Egypt I want to tell you today God is for us and not against us. And the scripture said if God is for us in Romans 8 and 31, who can be against us? If God's on my side, what's it matter who's against me? But God being for us doesn't always mean that he puts us or keeps us in a comfortable or convenient place. Sometimes our loving Father, when we get too comfortable, when we don't pray, when things are convenient, when all the money's in the bank and we're not having to ask God for provision, we get comfortable and we get slack. But when we're going through trouble, what do we do? We pray. God doesn't always allow it to be convenient or easy for us. When things are convenient, Sometimes we don't stay committed. Let that sink in. When things are convenient, sometimes we don't stay committed. So God will allow us to be sent to Egypt so we can keep our mind and our heart on things that matter. And so Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, they left immediately for Egypt. Actually, in my King James Minister's Bible, there's a little subheading over that passage, and it says the flight to Egypt. That means they left Hastily, They left speedily. But in verse 15, they, the word said, and they were there until the death of Herod. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Because you see, while Jesus was down in Egypt, the wickedness of Herod was realized. Herod was going throughout the land trying to kill all of those two and under. And in verse 16 said, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now they had seen him. They made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. This is one of the most um, hideous acts in history with what Herod had done. In verse 16 it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its districts from two years old and under. Verse 17. According to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Verse 18. Listen to what it said. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying. A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. Refusing to be comforted because they are no more. See this, is, this was one of the most hideous acts in history. Which we know very little about. But. Had Jesus been there when this took place, this passage of Scripture we just read, what would have happened to him? I want to tell you, as you are making your way down to Egypt in your walk with Christ, as you are griping the whole way, crying the whole way, and I I can say that because I've done it myself, complaining the whole way, saying, "I, I can't stand where I am. I don't know why I have to go this way. I don't know why God has allowed this to happen in my life. I don't like it here. I would rather have stayed where I was. Why is God doing this to me? While you're griping and crying the whole way, what you don't know is that Herod is wreaking havoc where you were, but God got you out just in the nick of time. God got your attention. God Almighty in His goodness and His mercy, and because He has a plan for your life, has allowed you to endure just a little bit of inconvenience so that you would avoid the total destruction that Satan had planned against you and your family. In God's goodness, in His mercy, And in His grace, He's protected you while you were in Egypt. See, I'm afraid that most of the time, as Pentecostals, we depend too much on feelings. Some Pentecostals have taught people to thrive on a feeling. I thank God I learned a long time ago not to always go by my feelings. Because there's times that I don't feel like a preacher or feel like a pastor there's times that I don't feel like going to church we've gotten too hung up on our feelings you know what I've learned I've learned the best blessings you'll get in this life is when you serve God when you don't feel like it when you pay your tithes oh that'll preach when you don't feel like it when you go to church when you don't feel like it When you 
do something for somebody else because the Lord laid it on your heart when you really don't feel like it. When you do something for somebody else's child, when you would rather do for your own baby and you don't really feel like it, that's when you get your greatest blessings from God. Some Pentecostals have taught people to thrive on a feeling and they falsely taught that every time you pray, you're supposed to see an immediate result. If you prayed hard enough. If you prayed correctly. You don't even have to pray according to God's will. You just pray for what you want. That's another one of those beliefs and it'll come to pass if you, if you have enough faith. And if it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't have enough faith. I want to tell you, nothing could be farther from the truth. God doesn't work that way. I recall a story that one of my favorite preachers, Loran Livingston, pastor of Central Church of God in Charlotte, North Carolina, told in one of his sermons. He talked about how when he was a little boy, because of the respiratory disease that he had, he spent many days and sometimes even weeks in a dark room with the door closed trying to breathe. And sometimes when these episodes would take place, he said his parents knew that it would be possibly two weeks or even a month before he could leave that room or definitely before he could leave the house. Any kind of medicine they had, which was very little back then, was given to him is what he said. And he said he would go a solid month sometimes without being able to breathe properly. And it was a common thing when that happened on Sunday afternoon for families from their local church to visit with other families. And he said every Sunday if I was sick there would be people that would come. And they would anoint me with oil and they would pray for my healing. Family after family would come in and pour oil on my head and declared, Be healed in the name of Jesus. He said, and eventually the pastor would come, and these are his words and not mine. He said, eventually the pastor would come and wallop me in the name of Jesus. If we were in revival, the pastor would bring the evangelist, and then the evangelist would get a turn at walloping me in the name of Jesus. And after they all left, what I remember as a child is I was still about to die. He said, this happened day after day, week after week. And he said, then we come up with this excuse, well, if something doesn't happen, it's not my fault, it's your fault for not having enough faith because the Bible says whatever things you ask in his name, he will do it. And he said, God does not answer all of our prayers exactly the way we pray them and when we pray them. We don't know how to pray or what to pray and a lot of times our prayers are self-centered and they're based on this desire that we have to be relieved of the trouble and the pain and the stress right now. That's what it's all about. I've been guilty myself. It's about us. And that's all we think about. And that's why we curse our Egypt. Because Egypt represents being alone and not knowing what to do next. It implies that God has pushed us out of the way. And everybody else is doing fine while we're down here going through our Egypt. We forget that God's not a God of convenience or comfort. He's not a God to be manipulated. A TV evangelist that says, I need $1.6 million. And then he continues with, I need a miracle and God told me you're going to help me have it. You'll send in that $1,000 seed. God will save your grandchildren and your spouses. 
tell you, God doesn't operate that way either. You don't have to give God an offering to get anything. I'm thankful that for us, salvation is free. But never doubt it cost him a high price. You can't buy a miracle from God. And then another thing that goes on today, and I've struggled with this at times because I'm not as skillful as taking up offerings as some people I know. But the manipulative preacher says, you're not buying a miracle, you're giving an offering of love. You're showing God how much faith you have. I want to tell you something right now, you don't have to show God how much faith you have. God's the one who gave you the faith that you do have to start with. Sometimes people get so desperate when they hear things like this, they'll say, well, what will it hurt? I'll just send an offering. I'll tell you what it hurts. It's going to shock some of you probably that I say this, but it hurts God. Because what you're saying is, I don't trust you, Lord. You said you would take care of me, but I'm going to help you out just a little bit. He said if I'd do this, I'd get that. I'm going to help you out just a little bit. But the God that we serve doesn't operate on a give and take manner. If he did, not a single one of us would be saved right now. The Holy Spirit has to quicken us and draw us to God. The young man that I prayed with Sunday morning felt compelled before he ever got here. That he said, if there had been nobody else in the building but me, I wouldn't have needed any more confirmation than that message that you preached was for me. It takes the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Ghost quickening us and drawing us to God. So, Pastor, am I obligated to live right? Yes. Am I obligated to give and bless when I do so? Of course you are. But I don't give to get. We just got through the Christmas season. And I hope you didn't give just so you could get. I don't give to get. I give. And when it comes to my tithe and my offering, I give because he said to give. He gives a lot more to me than I could ever give back to him. I can't buy my blessing. I can't buy my miracle. I can't buy uh, favoritism with God. I'm already one of the richest men that you know. I'm already one of the richest men in the world. And I'm not talking about money. You can't measure wealth by money and cars and houses, trust me. But you can measure it by the fact that He who has called you, who has saved you, will keep you until that day. That's what Paul said in Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, that which, that which I have begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Being confident, knowing that you know that God has got me. I may have found myself in Egypt, but I'm going to trust that God put me where I am because He's saving me from something worse. And while I'm going through Egypt, God's already working out a greater good for me, for my family. We know, I tell you what the Word says. The Word says we don't understand because we look through a glass darkly, but we only see in part. But there's coming a day that we'll be able to look back and say, while I was going through that, God was over here doing this. Does God heal? Oh yes, God heals. He's the healer. He's a great physician. 
He's a miracle working God. He honors faith. He honors the prayer of faith. And he honors everything that we do for his glory. I just don't know how he does it. Or when he's going to do it. I'm not even supposed to dictate to him what to do. I'm supposed to simply ask and trust. And just believe. Nicholas, if you'll come back for the music, please. Just believe that God has a plan. Jeremiah 29 and 11 said, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans never to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So you can know that even though you may have found yourself in a place you didn't want to be, going through something you didn't want to go through, maybe it's unfamiliar territory, but you can know that in God's wisdom, in God's infinite mercy, and in God's grace, He's allowed you through what you're passing through. When Israel was about to cross the Jordan River, God spoke to Joshua to tell the people. Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. said, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you have not passed this way before. In other words, Joshua, keep your eyes on the ark. See, the ark was the presence of God. Watch where it goes. And follow it because you've never been this way before. Mary and Joseph had to go the way they had to go. It wasn't their choice to have to run from Herod and flee with their child. But they kept their eyes on God. And they trusted that while they were in Egypt God was protecting God was planning see family we don't know what the future holds for any of us none of us have ever been this way before any of us could get up tomorrow and find ourselves in uncharted territory just because we've handled a situation in the past a certain way does not even mean that we can handle it the same way today because God has us on a journey. This journey, this thing called life, is not about making us happy. It's about making us holy. It's not about making us comfortable. It's about making us committed. This journey, 
is to get you to take your eyes off of everything and everybody else except Jesus. So God, in His own sovereignty, decides what's going to take place in my life. God decides what it's going to take for me to keep my eyes on Jesus. And one of the greatest ploys or tactics of the enemy is to get you to believe that you've done something wrong or you've done something to cause you're the reason why this is happening. Because the enemy's idea is to get you to doubt your salvation, doubt your faith, doubt your relationship with God, doubt whether you're walking in God's will, doubt whether God is blessing you and your family, doubt whether or not you've missed it somewhere and get you in Egypt and start doubting and start questioning because when he does that, it gets dark and it gets lonely all around you. And you begin to listen to the voice of your Herod. But I came for you to listen to the voice of your God today and hear that God is not punishing you. God is not chastising you. What God is doing right now is growing you in His grace. He will deliver you. Did you hear me today? He will deliver you. But He's waiting on you to get to the place where you say, I trust you in this Egypt. So maybe today you've not fully devoted yourself to Him. You've not fully committed yourself to Him. I invite you to do that. In just a moment, I'm going to let them sing just a, just a verse or and a chorus or two. And I'm going to invite you to pray. And if you've never accepted Him, I invite you to accept Him as your Lord and Savior today. Not, that's as simple as just admitting that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Believing this Jesus that we just celebrated His birth is the one who came and lived His life and died on a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. That He was buried, but also that He rose again on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and defeating sin so that you could be saved. And then you believe that, and then the Bible says, and you confess with your mouth. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. It's that simple. But maybe today, while they sing, you need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've complained all the way down to this Egypt. But God, I thank you that you're always working things together for my good. You're always working for my greater good. So God, I'm not going to curse this Egypt experience. But God, I'm going to thank you that while I'm down here in Egypt, you're working out something else for me. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to praise you through this Egypt experience because you will step into this Egypt. You will take me by the hand and you will march me out. You will deliver me. You will bring me through because you are a good, good father and your plans for me are perfect. Maybe that's what you need to say today as they say.